Thanks, guys. Well, it's good to be with you, and I am the old guy, and I'm going to tell you how to date, okay? You know, the older I get, the more I believe in arranged marriages, you know? I just feel like I would do a much better job than you at choosing your spouse. And so I just want to say, I'm kind of joking at that, but I'm not joking at the same time. But anyway... We're uh, starting a series on dating, and it's something that I'm, um, yeah, I have an interest just because I feel like it's a topic that we don't talk about a lot. Everyone is dating, wants to date, or so it seems, and it's something that is hard to navigate because as a Christian, the Bible doesn't talk about dating. The Bible doesn't talk about it, doesn't give any advice for it, Um, and so how do we go through the Christian life as young people wanting to be married, and how do we date in a way that honors God? And so I want to talk to you about tonight. I have three kind of points that I want to kind of work through, and it's on your notes, and you can fill it out as we go along. But basically, I'm going to talk about really talking to the singles in the room, but if you are dating, I think this applies as well, or if you're married, but generally I'm speaking to the single people who want to be married and how to date well, how to date in a way that honors God. We're going to talk about preparation, we're going to start talk about starting a relationship, and then we're going to talk about transitioning to a serious relationship, and then we're going to talk about keeping it godly. Mm, some of y'all need to keep it godly. You know what I'm talking about? Keep it godly, okay? So, to start off, I want to talk about marriage, because I was talking with, uh, actually, someone before service, and we were We were talking about why do you even date in the first place? We were talking about high school relationships, and I was talking about how, like, I had my first girlfriend in fourth grade, and it's like, what do you do with your girlfriend when you're in fourth grade? You just literally look at each other, and then you tell your friends that you're dating them, but you don't ever talk to the girlfriend. You know what I'm talking about? And then you're like, why would you date? Why do you date? Why do we date? And, you know, for most people, they don't know why they date. They date because they're lonely. They date because they're insecure. They date because... They want to have sex. They date because of a whole different lot of reasons. But we as Christians, we need to be separate from the world. We need to be distinguished from the world. If you have unbelieving friends and your unbelieving friends can't tell you're a Christian, that is a problem. Because the Bible calls us to be a light. It calls us to be separate. It calls us to be holy. It calls us to be completely different. The Bible says that if you are a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. And yet, in American Christianity, we tend to play this game where we like to ride the fence. We like to incorporate God in so we get nice, fuzzy feelings, but we don't want to do things his way. There's this Christian cuss word. It's called obedience. Nobody wants to obey God when the rubber of your desire meets the road of God's word. And I'm here to say, listen, if we're going to make it, if, we, if you want to make a difference in the world, if you want to make a difference for God's kingdom, we can rah-rah and rah, I can rile you up, but the more important message we need to hear is to obey God. Because you can claim that you want to change the world, but if you can't make your bed, don't come, in, don't come and talk to me. If you claim you want to change the world for God's kingdom, but you're not willing to submit to his way of relationships, dating, then don't come talk to me. Because this is where the rubber meets the road for young adults. Will I submit my sexual and relational desires to Jesus Christ? I'm coming out swinging. I'm not wasting any time this morning. But I'm hoping to spur you on, to wake you up from your sleep and to say, let's get serious. Because time, there's no time to waste, friends. 
There's no time to waste. God's kingdom is here. It's ready to expand, and it's waiting for a willing vessel. So, why get married? We get married in preparation, or I'm sorry, why do we date? We date to prepare for marriage, to, to seek for a spouse that would have our values and that we could create and serve and, and uh, create a life and a legacy with, but it's ultimately for the purpose of getting married. So then we have to ask the question, what's the purpose of marriage? Because if that's the purpose of dating, then what's the purpose of marriage? Because if you don't understand the beauty and the, the call and the duty of marriage, you will misuse dating. So we have to understand why get married. And so the Bible lays out this framework in Genesis where it talks about Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve are the first man and woman, and God creates them, and it says the two, husband, wife, man, woman, will become one flesh. And then he, he, he tells them to be fruitful, to multiply, to, to cover the earth and subdue it. And so we have the call of marriage in Adam and Eve, and we have this vocation, but why get married? You see, Adam and Eve were created in Genesis, and they were different. You see, first he created land and sea. He created birds in the air. He created night and day. He created all of these separate things. And then he created man and woman, two different beings. And he said, I'm going to bring them together and be one. But he did it not just for procreation to, to expand the human race, but he did it because it was, a, it was a picture. The marriage union is a picture of God's covenantal love for humanity. So marriage is not just about family. Marriage is ultimately about God. And marriage in the New Testament is expressed in Ephesians. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And so marriage is about God's covenantal love towards humanity. It's also about Christ's covenantal love towards the church. So why do we have marriage? Marriage is a picture of God's love. It is a picture of God's love for us and the way that a husband will love his wife. So God loves us, but in a more pure way. And so Christ loves us. So marriage is supposed to be a place, a union, in which man loves his wife more than he loves himself, and where woman, wife, loves her husband more than she loves herself, so showing the world that Christ loved us more than he loved himself. But it's not that way, is it? <laughs> Parents, sometimes it's like, do they even like each other, you know? Parents get divorced, they don't have a lifelong commitment, and so the devil has wreaked havoc in our culture to break down the definition and the beauty of marriage so that you wouldn't think it's beautiful. And isn't it so interesting that once the marriage institution in our country started to decline, so did people's commitment to Christ. That once he can break down the marriage, then he breaks down Christ's love, and we don't trust any of it because we're in a broken system. And if our, if our parents can't stick together, then why should I trust this God? You see, marriage is a beautiful institution that God created, and the devil is distorting it, trying to destroy it, because he knows that it reflects. The covenantal love that's in marriage reflects God's covenantal love. And so marriage is a beautiful thing. So we date in order to be married so that we can show each other, husband and wife can show each other covenantal love, so we can show the world covenantal love of God. 
You see, you think your life's about you. It's not about you. You have a college degree. Yeah, go get your college degree, right? You have your money. You have your savings account. You're going all, you have all these things. You have your shoes. You have your car. You think your life's about you. It's not about you. Your life is all about Jesus. And if your life is not directly pointing to Jesus, it is a wasted life because there will come a day where you will die and everything will be burned up. Everything except the things that are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And here's a beautiful thing is that you and I, it's not a bad thing to desire marriage and to desire a relationship. It's a good thing, but it's got to be done in the right way. And so marriage is a beautiful thing. And I would argue, I don't have time to necessarily go into it fully today, but I would urge you to discover the beauty of marriage that's found in the scriptures. And the beauty of sex when it's done God's way in the scriptures. Because when we find the beauty of marriage God's way, the beauty of sex God's way, we start to see where we've been lied to. And we start to see all of the faulty and destructive ways that we've believed and lived our whole life. And how if we continue in that pattern, it will destroy us like it's destroyed so many other people. So we have to have a correct view of marriage, which is all about God, and that marriage is a lifelong covenant that husband and wife make in order to create family that glorifies God. Now, not everyone is called to marriage. Some people aren't called to marriage. You don't have to be married in order to be a Christian. But if you want to be married, and you're a Christian, you got to do it God's way. And here's what I've discovered Oh, we've been taught by the wrong teacher. We've been taught by TV shows. We've been taught by movies. We've been taught by culture. We've been taught by friends. We've been taught by siblings. We've been taught by all of the wrong teachers. And so we're taught, to, we're taught by romance movies. We're taught by The Bachelorette. We're taught by how to, save, how to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. We're taught by The Notebook. We're taught by all of the wrong teachers about what dating and marriage is all about. And we're saying, well, no, 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 not me. And until you look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, I've been lied to, Lord. Show me how I've been lied to. Give me a better vision. Give me a better picture of what dating and marriage is all about. Until you do that, you are living in a lie. I don't care where you're from. I never met one person who had a correct view of dating before Christ. And, had, and someone who's looked themselves in the mirror Because if you are alive, you've been lied to and you're living deceived. Because we live in a culture of deception. Even if you were homeschooled, you're going to have a a distorted view. Even if you've never been exposed to anything. Because here's the deal. The devil sneaks his way in, lies to us. We believe the lie. We hate ourselves for it. We make bad choices. And then the devil keeps us in this pit and says, well, maybe just change a little bit. But, you know, you can just keep doing that that way because it, it works, right? Okay, I'm getting off on a tangent. We want to keep going. Gosh, am I preaching to anyone? Am I calling anyone out? Everyone's like, not me. No, it's not me. All right, I want, to, I want to talk to you about preparing, okay? Preparing for a relationship. So this is if you're single. And I'm going to try to zip through these things pretty quick. But if, if you know me, I sometimes go on rabbit trails, so just bear with me, okay? The first thing you need in preparation is Humility. Humility. In James 4, 6, it says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And this ties with my previous point, is that we've been lied to. We must humble ourselves 
and say, Jesus, I want to honor you with my relationships. If you are not willing to do that, you have no business dating because you will hurt yourself and hurt other people. As a Christian, you must humble yourself under the mastering of Jesus and say, teach me how to be a man. Teach me how to be a woman of God. Teach me how to pursue relationships in a way that honors you. So many people go through, they, they become a Christian, and then they start dating, and then they take all their crappy uh, uh, old lifestyles, and they just bring it into the church. They bring it into access. They bring in all their old patterns into their Christian dating life. They're like, well, we won't have sex, but we'll go all the way up to sex. Well, well you know, we're, you're, you're, you're still pushing boundaries. You're still dishonoring the other person with your communication. You're, you're, you're not humbling yourself. Humble yourself. Allow the Lord to teach you how to date. Second thing I want to talk to you about. So the first is humility. We got to get that, guys. He opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. We need to humble ourselves and realize that we've been lied to by culture and by our sin nature. Second thing is develop your values. This is a huge one. Develop your values. You need to have what I call a green list, a yellow list, and a red list. The green list is characteristics a spouse must have. Yellow is a preferred, preferred characteristics, and red is characteristics you will not tolerate. So I have an example of some um, characteristics on the screen of red. These are not, this is just the list that I've created. This doesn't have to be your list, but you need to have things that are like, I'm not putting up with this in a, in a, in a partner. I'm not putting up with this. And if you see it in someone, you don't date them, no matter how hot they are. No matter how good, no matter if they had a six-pack, you know, no matter how many times they DM you, you block them because they got the red list. Addictive behavior, abusiveness, uncontrolled temper, pattern of betrayal, not a Christian, pressures you sexually, does not respect authority. If you see things, red flags, you say no. You say no. I don't care how bad how much they're pursuing you, ladies. I don't care how much they're pursuing you to make you feel special. If you see the red flags, you need to say no. Men, I don't care how beautiful she is. I don't care how she makes you feel. I don't care. I don't care any of the other um, fleshly characteristics of a woman. Do not date her if she has these red flags. And you've got to create your own red flags. Yellow flags. Preferred characteristics. These are things. So yellow flags are going to be things that are like, I would prefer not to have in someone I'm going to date or marry. You know, for some people, sexual history is going to be a big deal. They're going to say, you know what? I don't know if I want my spouse to be with X amount of people within their life. Other people, it's not as big of a deal. Family origin issues. Maybe they have tons of divorce in their family, and that, and that worries you. Now, these aren't hardline issues. These are your preferences. This is this, the list of things that you need to develop that you might prayerfully consider as you're pursuing a relationship with someone. Unhealthy habits or issues, lack of involvement in the church, huge deal. If they don't want to submit to a local church when they're dating, what makes you think that they'll submit to a local church when they're married? And here's why it's important. Let me tell you the why. It's not just because I want you to come and fill the seats. Involvement in the local church displays humility, especially if they submit themselves to the local church by serving 
whether it be tithing, whether it be just involvement, if they're not willing to submit to the local church, it shows that they do not like being under authority. And, and ladies, you want a man who knows how to be under the authority of God. And men, you want a lady who knows how to be under the authority of God. You, you, you need to realize it's not just about church attendance, it's about what it tells you about a person. Now, if someone is involved in a church, should you just like write them off? No, it'd be a conversation that you'd have with them, okay? A conversation. Hey, I think you should be going to a church, you know? I think you should be more involved. And if they respond, then obviously you can progress how you see fit. So those are just some yellow lists that I would, um, yeah, I would consider. I think close family and friends, if you have trusted family and friends, I always think it's really powerful to invite your friends into the relationship the trusted Christian friends in the sense of like, hey, what are you seeing in this? How are they treating me? How are they when I'm not around? Not that you're trying to like gossip and get behind their back, but you're just bringing more people into the relationship than just yourself because we often can be deceived by ourselves. We can, we can want to see something so we kind of ignore things that are maybe yellow or red flags. So invite other people in. Um, uh, the green lists. So this is like your green list, the things that you want in a spouse or that you want in someone that you want to pursue. So this is going to be a Christian, strong relationship with Jesus, challenges me to be a better Christian, serves others, has a reputation of integrity, has positive friendships, similar values and morals. This is a huge one, similar values and morals. Just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't mean they're a Christian. Just, I'm sorry, I'm not pointing anyone out. I don't, just because someone comes to access does not mean they're a Christian. You see, there's a survey done, and it, it'll be on the screen, about people who have Christian worldviews in America. So 66% of Americans identify as a Christian. 66. That's two out of every three people. That seems a little ridiculous to me, if, <laughs> if I do say so myself. 6% have a biblical worldview. I think that's a little bit more accurate. 2% of 18 to 29-year-olds have a biblical worldview. Now, let me tell you this. This is what you're looking for. You're not looking for the Instagram bio of like, love Jesus, while they're posting pics of their boobs on Instagram or something like that. It's like, no, like, loves Jesus all the way. It's not like loves Jesus and posting pictures with the guy with no shirt on, flexing all the time, showing his insecurity. It's like, no. Like, it's like, no. Do you have a biblical worldview? That's what I want to know. Not do, you, not do you identify as a Christian, do you submit yourself to the scriptures? Some of you still can't get over that I said that about Instagram, sorry. I still can't believe I said that. Jared, take that out, whoever's editing this later, take that out of the, out of the podcast. But 2%, what does that mean? It means that 98% of young adults do not believe that the Bible is authoritative and that do not believe that the Bible is the Word of God. 98%. So what you're looking for is not someone, is not primary looks. You're primarily looking for people who have similar values, who are Christian, and who are submitted to Jesus and the Scriptures says this in 2 Corinthians 6 about who we should marry. 
Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? So do not be unequally yoked means that you should not marry an unbelieving person. Now, in America in 2023, I would, I would just say, do not marry someone who does not submit to the scriptures, who does not believe the scriptures are the word of God, who, who does not love Jesus and love his word. Some of y'all are like, I ain't never getting married then. <laughs> no, but we can because we are going to, God has a remnant, guys. There are the remnant who love Jesus and who are submitted to his word. And I do not want you to prioritize getting married over being faithful to Jesus because if you start dating someone who doesn't believe the way you do, you might just marry them and your life will be, not, it will be very difficult because you will be unequally yoked about all the decisions that you have to make about your life, your family, your kids, the school, everything. So God is saying here in, in 2 Corinthians, he's saying don't be unequally yoked. So what are some ways that we might discover if someone has a biblical worldview that believes and looks at the world from the basis of the scriptures? So one thing might be they believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Second thing would be it holds a historical Christian view of sex and sexuality. That's a really easy identifier in 2023. Is do, does someone hold a historical Christian view of sex and sexuality? Um, are they an active contributor to the local church? And do they have a living, breathing, personal relationship with Jesus? So it's really important. Develop your values. Don't do it when you're in the relationship. Do it right now if you haven't done it already. Third thing I want to tell you is develop your boundaries. This is before you have a relationship. So if you're single... You need to develop your, your boundaries right now. They should be written down. They should be thought through, prayed through. So boundaries are predetermined decisions that protect predetermined values. Predetermined decisions that protect predetermined values. The first boundary that we'll need to have is sexual boundaries. Because once you start dating someone, you will want to have sex with them. Before you start dating someone, you will want to have sex with them. And if you do not use self-control and you not provide a, an aim for your relationship of this is the way that I want to honor God with my sex drive and my purity, then we need to create sexual boundaries. Now, they are not protecting us from something bad and icky, but rather... We have a revelation of the purpose of sex, which leads us to protect that purpose. I'm going to refer to you right now. If you have not listened to the Real Talk uh, audio podcasts from last February, you need to go listen to that. If you're not familiar with the Real Talk podcast, I have a full message on the purpose of sex, and I would encourage you to listen to it. I'll say it right now for the sake of saying it, but I unpack it for about 40 minutes in that, in that teaching. That's on the Access podcast from back in February. So the purpose of sex is found within the purpose of marriage. Remember the purpose of marriage? It was to display God's covenantal love for humanity and then also for, to display God's covenantal love for the church. 
So the sex, the purpose of sex, is found within the purpose of marriage because sex was made for marriage. God made sex. He made it with a purpose that was to be fulfilled inside marriage, where it's beautiful, where it is fulfilling, where it is safe, where it is reproductive, where it fulfills every design that God had for sex. And the purpose of sex is threefold. The first purpose is intimacy that motivates self-sacrificial love. Some of you are like, what? Intimacy that motivates self Let me explain it. Intimacy that motivates self-sacrificial love. Remember the, pur- remember the purpose of marriage? To display Christ's self-sacrificial love to humanity. Sex, the purpose is intimacy to becoming one that motivates. It is a motivator. Chemically speaking, you have dopamine you have dopamine releasing in the brain that connects two people, right? You have oxytocin that bonds the people together. You have all these chemical reactions happening in the brain when two people have sex, whether you're married or not. And God designed it that when two people have sex, it says the two become one, and they are joined together, not only physically, chemically in your brain, so that it motivates you to bond with one another. That's why sometimes you still think about the first person you've ever had sex with. That's why you think about your boyfriend from high school sometimes. That's why you think about the girlfriend that you had sex with when you were in high school. It's because there is a chemical um, exchange that happens when you have sex, and God designed it that way so that you would be bonded to your wife or your husband for life so they would motivate you to love them for the rest of your life so that your kids in the world would say, wow, Christians love each other and would point people to Jesus. See, it's all about Jesus. So sexual boundaries. You need to have these boundaries. Now, I want to read 2 Thessalonians 4 really quick. It says, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles, last part here, who do not know God. So God is saying here in 2 Thessalonians, he's saying is, my will for you is to abstain from sexual immorality and that you learn how to control your own body. This is why we work out. This is why we have good eating patterns. This is why we say no to the second cookie or the second brownie. It's why we fast. It's why we do all of these things to discipline our bodies. You see, so many people struggle with lust and pornography and all of these issues it's because they have no self-control in any other part of their body. They stay up till 1 a.m. They hit the alarm clock four times. They have no self-control. No wonder why you're addicted. No wonder why you can't say no because your flesh is running your life. And now, if you want to have a relationship that honors God, if you want to have a relationship that brings glory to him in a marriage that is vibrant and healthy, we have to learn self-control. We can't give our bodies what it wants all the time. Sexually, we can't give our bodies what it wants all the time when it comes to food or other areas. We need to learn to use self-control. So this is all in the, in the realm of developing boundaries, specifically sexual boundaries, predetermined decisions that protect predetermined values. Now, any sex before marriage is sin. Any sex. There's like a lot of saying like, well, 
Jake, you got to like try the car out before you, you know, buy it. You got to test drive the car. That is bogus. It is, it is proven, it is proven sociologically and from therapists that couples who have sex and live together before they're married are 50% more likely to get divorced. That, that virgins who get married are the most likely to stay married for the entirety of their lives. This idea that you need to test drive the car is garbage and is from the pits of hell. Even just thinking like, like practically here. If you've, some people say like, well, how do you know you're going to enjoy it? How do you know you're going to have chemistry? How do you know that it's going to be fireworks? How are you going to know it's going to be this? Listen, when you're 75 years old, there ain't no fireworks anyway, okay? Like when you're 55, there ain't no fireworks. So like, like it's not all about the fireworks. But even more practically speaking, if, if the two people, God's design, two virgins coming together for marriage, I know that's not everyone's story, and there's redemption and grace, and God can make all things new. The power of the gospel can make you so new, like completely new, completely forgiven, all traces of your past erased and not even gone into your marriage. God's grace is so powerful, but God's design is that two virgins would come and be married. And some people say, well, how do you know you're going to be fireworks? And it's like, listen, if you've never had sex, you don't know what you're missing. Like, it's like you don't know what you're missing. It's like you get to enjoy it and learn it, and you get to learn it with each other, and there's no comparison. There's no looking back. There's no, this is better than this, and this did it this way. And it's just beauty. It's purity. It's, no, I'm not thinking about anyone else. It's just you and me. It's commitment. It's purity. The, the idea that you need to test drive the car is just completely demonic, and it's garbage, and it's worldly. Remember what I said earlier. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Now, if you've made mistakes, am I saying you're an enemy of God? By no means. What I am saying is if you think like the world, you are. That's why we must submit ourselves to God's ways. It's not about your act previous actions. God covers those and forgives those. It's about our current state, our current thinking, our current belief system. Is it, is it influenced by God or is it influenced by culture? Third, or la, uh, next thing that I want to talk about in preparation as I zip through these last points. Uh, you need to confront masturbation and pornography in your preparation for marriage. The statistics are very high that most, that a lot of guys and a large portion of girls that are single in today's in the church and outside the church are masturbating and watching pornography regularly. Listen, I struggle with this in my own life if you've heard my story before and I have zero judgment and I'm not throwing any stones. What I am saying, listen, if you can get this... You guys, I carried this into the early years of my marriage. If you can get this, if you can bring this to the Lord, find healing and, 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 and find grace and find breakthrough in this area before you get married, do it. I'm telling you, it sucks. It sucks so bad. It is like the, it was the worst day of my life when I confessed to my wife while I was married that I was watching pornography. It was, it was early in my marriage. It was the worst. Do not carry that into your marriage. Do not waste one more day letting the devil wreak havoc on your soul. Do not waste one more day indulging your flesh. Run to the feet of Jesus. Find a mentor. Find a friend and get free. God's grace is so powerful, but if you stay in the dark, you will stay in the dark. You will never get free unless you come out in the light. You will never get free unless you bring up the fact that you need help. So confront masturbation and pornography. I'm going, to skip, I'm going to skip the last, this last point. It's intentionally honor your brothers and sisters. It's, it's a good point, but I'm going to skip it for time's sake. The next thing, next point, so that's preparation, right? You have humility, 
You have develop your values, develop your boundaries, and you have intentionally honor your brothers and sisters. Oh, confront masturbation and pornography. The next thing is start. Oh, gosh, I, I need to get through this. I have to. It's so good. So, let's say you got at someone and you're like, want to be in a relationship. I just want to speak to Christian dating culture, okay? Christian dating culture is very weird, okay? It's very weird. Do you want to go get coffee? No, it's not even that. It's like texting, do you want to go get coffee or something like that. I don't know. It's, and then it's like, do I pay? Do you pay? Who's going to pay here? <laughs> it's just really weird. Sorry. So I want to talk to you about the start, like starting relationship. First off, men, listen to me. If you don't listen to me, it's your own fault. But I'm telling you, listen to me. The start of a relationship. Men, it is your responsibility to take the initiative. Men, you have what it takes. You have what it takes. Culture tells you that you're a buffoon and that you should hide. And I'm telling you, God is calling you to stand up and be a leader. He's calling you to take initiative. He's calling you to take risk. He's calling you to be a man. He's calling you to be a godly man. He's not calling you to wait on the sideline. He's calling you to stand up, be a leader in your world and in your relationships. Initiate. Don't initiate over Instagram. Don't initiate over text. If you want to ask a girl out, you go to her face and you say, I think you're pretty. Can I buy you coffee? I don't know. Is that what you do? It's been a while since I've asked someone out, but I'm just saying, you go to them, and you, you come up with your shoulders back, man. You get them back. You give your buddy to give you a pep talk. You say, you got this, man. You got this, man. You go up, and you honorably and respectfully say that you want to take them on a date because you want to get to know them more. Okay? Do it in person. I'm telling you, the number one thing that a girl is looking for, not number one thing, but something that a, a woman is looking for in a godly man is confidence. And when you send a text, it shows that you're not confident. Listen, you can be, I'm so terrified, Jake, I'm gonna have a panic attack. Listen, that is the best thing that could ever happen is confront your fear. Go up, even if you're shaking, just do it, man. <laughs> And go up and ask, and some of the guys were like, this is the pep talk I needed, Jake. This is the pep talk I needed. <laughs> Ladies are like, oh, no, I'm going to ask out nine times tonight. Ugh. No, but seriously, do it in person. And here's what I want to tell you. Dating does not equal marriage. And you got to get this. If you're going to have a healthy community of young adults at Res Life Church, you need to get this. When... Someone asks someone else out on a date at Access, stop freaking out. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Hannah, yeah. She, she have experience with this? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't freak out. Come on. Like, oh my gosh, it's here to so-and-so. I wonder how it went. I wonder how it went. And then it's like it breaks up and it's like, <laughs> how'd it go? Oh, so awkward. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like let people get to know each other. So Dating does not equal marriage. I call this low-risk dating. Now, low-risk does not mean that you should lower your values. It does not mean that you should go on a date with anyone. It does not mean that you should treat it as casual. But it does mean that you should not equate a date to marriage. Just because you go on a date, just because you go on six dates, does not mean you have to marriage. Dating is about getting to know someone on a personal level to discover if you have the same values and there's compatibility so that you could turn it into a longer-term relationship. So, just because you go on a date does not mean you have to get married. does not mean it has to be long-term. 
You are getting to know someone to see if there's chemistry, compatibility with values that you might go on a second date. So men, when you're going on a date, your goal of the first date is not to get a second date. Your goal is to honor the woman, is to respect her, to ask good questions, get to know her, laugh, enjoy it, and not treat it like you're going to propose to her the next time you go on a date. Just enjoy it and get to know her as a person. Ask good questions. So don't throw away your values, and I want you to keep it low risk. But here's the deal. I'm going to tell you what makes it, increases the pressure of a relationship, okay? You want to keep it low risk because you're not trying to hurt people. You're trying to honor people, especially when you're at church. You should honor, respect, do things the right way, right? So we want to keep that as honoring as possible. Here's things that will not do that. Kissing and holding hands, kissing, holding hands, and being physical or having sex or doing sexual things too early. As soon as you have sex, I can't tell you how many times, it's like this couple's having a problem, they're having problems, they are clearly incompatible. Like clearly, they don't really like each other, but because they're doing sexual things, they stay together. You guys ever seen that before? Where it's like, they're having sex, they're doing sexual things, they don't like each other, they get in fights, but they still are together. It's like, why are you together? It's because they're doing sexual things. And they're ignoring red flags because they've increased the risk or increased the pressure of the relationship much too early. So create those boundaries, stick to those boundaries. And men, do not advance too early sexually. Honor the woman. Honor her the way that you would honor God's child. And women, honor the man. Honor the man and respect yourself and save yourself. I feel like a dad tonight. I swear, I feel like a dad. So another thing that's going to increase the pressure too early is, in, is introducing the person to your family or friends too early. The moment you start bringing them in, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You want to go, you want to come to think, you're inviting me to Thanksgiving? I don't even know if I like you yet. It's like, I don't want to be brought into your family. So inviting them to a family event too early. Here's one, posting pictures on social media together increases. It's like, oh, they're a thing. And then she's like, I do not want to post this picture right now. He's like, I don't know. She's kind of crazy. I don't know if I want to do this, but here we go. It just increases the risk. Um, Early on, I would not recommend praying together. Early on, do not pray together. Praying together creates emotional intimacy that it's just going to, it's going to muddy the waters of your judgment and discernment. So just keep that separate in the early stages of your dating. So, and then the last thing would be like, don't text or talk too frequently. Sometimes you're so excited because you like the person, you're texting them all the time, but then it freaks them out. It's like, just like, give them distance, give them some space. Okay. Next point, transition. So you're on the dates, you're lowest dating, and then now you want to go and you're either going to end it or you're going to continue it. We, you could define the relationship as the way I've defi- uh, described it in the past. So our goal in the transition, which is you're either going to Define the relationship, or you're going to end the relationship. Our goal in this stage is to honor the other person through clear communication. So, if you know you don't want to be with the person anymore, don't wait two weeks. If you've gone on three dates and it's not going anywhere, ladies, be brave. Go to them and say, listen, don't say you're a great guy. I still want to be friends, okay? That doesn't help, okay? (laughs) But say, hey, listen, I've enjoyed getting to know you but I do not see this going anywhere. 
thank you for treating me with honor and respect. Okay? You just end it. Cut it off, pull off the Band-Aid, and be clear. Men, if you're trying to end it, do the same thing. Treat her with honor, with respect, and end it. If you think it's going to, if you don't see it going anywhere, don't wait. Don't wait. If you know it's going to be done, just end it. Through clear, honoring communication. So if you're going to define the relationship, though, meaning you're like dating and you're like, are we boyfriend, girlfriend? What is this thing? Guys, it's your responsibility when you feel like there's chemistry, you initiate the conversation, and I don't know how you want to do this, but there's got to be a conversation that says, I want to be exclusive, in a sense. I want you to be my girlfriend. How do you say this? I don't even know. Like, like I, I like you. <laughs> I don't know. Like, however you say it, say it, okay? And then define the relationship. We are exclusive. You are my, like, I, would you be my girlfriend? Just like, I don't know why, this is so weird right now. Oh my gosh. Ah, I should have wrote a script and did a role play. <laughs> I'm kidding. That would be weird. So it hurts to be turned down. It stings. But we got to remember, our worth is not wrapped up in being accepted by another person. Listen, the best thing you can do, it's going to hurt, it's going to sting, but listen, a righteous man falls down seven times, you get back up. You get back up, you don't take it personal. Your identity does not come from whether a girl likes you or not, it comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for you, he sees your potential, he sees your worth, he sees your value, he sees all the beauty and all the purpose inside of you, and double down on that, get back up, keep serving the Lord, keep serving the church, keep serving, keep going, and, and God will bring someone, if he has marriage for you, he will bring someone along your path. All right? Last thing. Gosh, I haven't changed a bit. Keeping it godly. <laughs> Keeping it godly. I want to just mention the triangle. It really helped me in my dating relationship. I want to share it with you. It's a great visual. It's the triangle. When you're in a relationship, so you're in the relationship now. Now your goal is to get to know each other. But for this purpose, I'm going to call it keeping it godly. You and your significant other need to be pursuing God. And the picture shows, as you pursue God, you get closer to each other. So your, your number one pursuit is not to pursue them, it's to pursue God. And as you both pursue God, you'll get closer to each other. And you'll have a better discernment of whether or not you should marry the person. But if you just pursue each other, it's going to get a little bit more foggy, okay? So, five ways to keep it godly. Five ways. You need to agree on your boundaries, so you've, you've, you've developed your sexual boundaries. Now you need to communicate them, and you need to agree on them. Second thing, you need to find a mentor couple. Listen, I cannot emphasize this enough. Unsolicited advice is, is rarely received. The wisest people in your life are not going to give you the wisdom that you need. You need to draw it out of them. You need to find someone you respect. You need to pursue them. You need to ask them once. If they say no, come back two weeks and say, I really think you need to do this. You can come back third time and say, the Lord spoke to me in an open vision and said, you need to mentor me. Don't do that, okay? But I'm just telling you, you need to find a mentor couple who will mentor your relationship. Listen, I told you earlier, you were lied to about how to date. You need to be taught by Jesus. One of the ways Jesus teaches us is by giving us older, wiser people to help us sift through the weeds of what a godly relationship should look like. And I'm telling you, a, a mentor will not come into your life. You have to find it. It will never come. You have to find it. Keep looking. Keep asking. Don't stop. Third thing, don't isolate. I can't tell you how many times, I mean, I've seen this where two people have great friendships, great friendships, 
great group of friends, two people date, where'd they go? Nowhere to be seen. Don't leave your friends. You're going to need your friends. Don't isolate. Seek wisdom about when you should open up about your past. You shouldn't, be, you shouldn't open up about your past like right away. You should seek wisdom. When should you do this? When, should you, when is the right timing? It's different for everyone. And then men, keep pursuing. Keep the relationships full of honor, fun, and romance. And those are five ways that I feel like you can keep it godly as you pursue relationships as you pursue Christ. Would you guys pray with me as we close? You know, tonight was a somewhat practical message in which we were, we're talking about relationships. But there's something that we need to kind of share and really emphasize before we leave is that Christianity, something very unique about it, is that it's the only religion that has a savior. Someone who came to save people. That person is Jesus Christ. See, all other religions, you have to do things in order to earn salvation. But in Christianity, Jesus did everything to earn your salvation. And it says that it is by grace, it is by the loving kindness of God through faith that we are saved. So that means that you, all of us, are sinful people. And it is only by God's grace that we can be forgiven. You can't do enough good. You can't make enough right decisions. It is only by putting your trust in Jesus and that he died on a cross 2,000 years ago and raised from the dead so that you could be forgiven and be in a relationship with him. If you've never done that, or you need to do that and recommit yourself to Jesus tonight, I want to give you an opportunity. On the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand. By raising your hand, you're just saying, you're, you're identifying it with God, saying, God, I want to be forgiven. I want to know I'm on my way to heaven. On the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise it high. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. It's incredible. You guys can lower your hands. Would everyone just pray with me? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. By sending Jesus to die on a cross for my sin, and raising back to life so that I could know God. I open my life up and I make Jesus my master. I invite him into my life to direct it, to heal it, and to guide me. So thank you for loving me. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.